This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru. This is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay, all things considered. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I just uh, found out that they're showing the Star Wars prequels at Celebration in April. And yeah. I was like thinking, like I want to go, and then I'm like, nah, I'll wait, and then, and now I'm like, man, I should have planned to go. Because I mean, come but, on. Because it would be so much better to see them in 3D. I totally want to see I, them in 3D. That would enhance my pain and make it make it more painful. Uh, I I love the prequels and. Uh, I'm very curious to see what the 3D would look like on episodes two and three, but just to see them on the big screen again, along with the original trilogy on the big screen, come on. And then JJ might show up, and then I could be like, hey, did you read the Return of the Archons comic? Um, (laughs) What's with the inconsistencies? Yeah, why is it even more off the wall than... We're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) But that would be a valid question, and you'd be like, what comics? Yeah, it could be. It could be. He'd blame Orshi, just like everybody else. Yep. Well, today we're going to have a, another comic comparison, and the next one up is The Return of the Archons, which is really a misnomer for the comic, because the Archons never left, or they were never prophesied to return. Well, you could say that it's a misnomer in the first one, too, right? It's all about perception, right? But you could say well, it's the return of the Archons and that it's the return of the space-faring humans. Wait, wait. Okay, hold on. I'm thinking of it backwards. In the original episode, they're the the people who've created this religion around Landru are looking forward to the return of the Archons, mm-hmm. the people who, who visited them 100 years ago. But in this one... The return of the Archons is what happened to the Archons, what happened to the people who were on the Archon, and there they are, we found them, they're on this planet. Oh. So so it's from the other the other direction. There uh-huh. you go. We're discovering things. That works. I apologize, clever comic book writer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, this comic is so vastly different. Uh, this is going to be another episode like we did... Uh, with the, the last one where we compared Vulcan's Vengeance and Balance of Terror, this is pretty much completely different stories. Somehow. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's a good adaptation. It's it's kind of what these comics should be, whereas instead of it being like a beat-for-beat beat thing, it's taking these stories and adapting them to the new storyline and making them relevant to the new timeline. True. Reading it again after uh, seeing Into Darkness, uh, you do get a better sense of what's really going on in this story. Yeah. But other than that, it's totally different and throws out every single timeline and every 
change that you thought was possible yeah. in this alternate universe. Yeah, to some extent, although I've got a, a couple theories. Oh, you have theories. Yeah. I look forward to this. So I guess we'll just go through the comic and uh, and say what happens in the comic and try to compare it to what happens in the uh, episode. Yeah. As opposed to comparing them beat by beat. Uh, comic opens up with uh, 18 months before 2009, I guess, where uh, Sulu is uh, being tapped to perhaps join a mysterious organization that's probably Section 31. Yeah, we know now. But he uh, he he decides against it to join the Enterprise. Well, does he really decide against it? I guess it, since he's on the Enterprise, we know that he decided against it. But Right, it says that you won't be able to take the, your position on the Enterprise if you take this mission. Yeah, yeah. Which I I don't think could have happened. I, I, in the original universe, I feel like Section 31 is a... Is a Later in the prime universe, perhaps started earlier in the uh, in the alternate universe because of Nero's incursion. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you think you think Prime Sulu may have been. Maybe that Section Thirty One was around poking stuff. I think we have no idea how long Section Thirty One's been around. You know. Yeah. I mean, they're covert. I guess that's the point. Yeah. Uh, it's supposedly in the original charter, right? I guess so, yeah. Section 31 of the original Federation Charter. Yeah. that That's where they get their name. So, yeah, I'm, I, maybe they were around. So the next thing that happens is a captain's log, and we find out about uh, Beta 3 and how it's been removed from the archives, and Kirk had to hear about it from some drunk captain, or some drunk professor, who tells him that, you know, the Archon was lost and, you know, you can't find any record of the Archon, though. You know, they were on Beta 3, and you can't find any record of Beta 3. And so he decided, because they were in this in the area, to stop by and check it out, as opposed to the original episode where they're like, hey, didn't the Archon crash here? We should, uh, we should figure out what happened to them. Yeah. And they knew all about Beta 3 and the Archon. Both ships were lost 100 years ago, 100 years previous to whatever year it's supposed to be. 2264? Well, it's 2258 in the comic book series. In the show, it would be 2266. Or, right. Or 67. Uh, timeline. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Sulu and O'Neill are beamed down, just like they, they are in the original episode, which I liked. But they're uh, running... From the uh, locals, apparently, which is a little bit different than the than the original one, but Sulu looks to be captured just like Sulu looks to be captured in the original episode. But in the original episode, they beam him up and they find out that he's been brainwashed. But that doesn't that kind of stuff isn't revealed for a long time into the comic. Yeah, here he's he just they lose contact with him, so. They decide, the Enterprise crew decides to beam down and see if they can find Sulu and O'Neill. And they find just a, a bunch of people who are kind of like mindless zombies just wandering around. But everybody's wearing, everyone's dressed like a lawgiver, which is weird. 
I guess it makes sense in that it's not, you know, like the the in the show it was very sort of uh earth dress, you know. Mm-hmm. People wearing this is, ties and hats and stuff and Right. This is more like the Middle Ages. They right. even call that out. And it's it's less identifiable, you know, just kind of cloaks and stuff. I mean that that could be mm-hmm. rather universal. There's no this is my not problem, but this is one of my things with this. There's no red hour. Yeah. Well, but think about it. Because it's 2258, right? So okay. it's not like they're, it's not parallel in that they're beaming down at the exact same time, right? Oh. So what are the odds that they show up at red hour? Both okay. times. If if Red Hour is like an annual thing, like we've hypothesized, then right. Then okay, okay, you've calmed me. Yeah. For now. In fact, when I first started reading this, and I assumed that there was a Red Hour, I was like, "What are the odds of that happening?" <laughs> but since there's not, it makes more sense. Okay, they're following different timelines. That that makes sense. But the crew immediately stands out. And are confronted by lawgivers who have their awesome sticks. Yeah. And they fight through it. And then they kind of, uh, well, they're cornered and saved by a mysterious figure who's dressed like one of the lawgivers. And he's very good with his stick. And it turns out that that's Sulu. And Kirk is... Surprised at all this, as if he hadn't seen Sulu kick a whole bunch of people's bunch of uh, Romulan butts on the uh, on the drill platform. Yeah. A- another weird difference is that uh, Spock examines one of the staffs, and in the original episode, he's like, "It's a hollow tube. There's there's nothing advanced about this at all." In this one, he says. A puzzling weapon, it appears more advanced than its environment. So it's not a, just a metal tube. It's it's actually an advanced piece of technology, which does fit in more with this plot than than the original plot. But I mean, the original plot, he's like, it's a hollow tube, right? But I mean, right. we saw what the tube could do, right? Right. So I mean, it was like a piece of advanced technology, right? It just looked, it's like super advanced in a sense. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, this one... Spock is confused because it's, yeah, I guess based on Starfleet technology. Yeah, yeah. So once Sulu finds them, he leads them downstairs, uh, to to the Undercity. Yeah. So it skips over like kind of like a whole big portion of the com of the movie. Sorry, the TV show, um, <laughs> which like two acts. <laughs> Yeah, which I mean there there is some stuff which is sort of reordered and everything like that, but basically the whole thing where they're escaping Red Hour and they run into where the old people are staying and then the old people are like, You need to go back out there, you're not of the body and all this stuff and then the one guy is like, Here, let me show you what it is we're we're doing and go underground here and check out this thing. So Sulu kind of acts as that in that role yeah. here. Because he hasn't been mind-wiped. He's been able to run around and right. discover things. Yeah. And he leads everyone to the remains of the USS Archon. Mm-hmm. Which, 
in a bit of trivia here, the NCC-189 on the Archon here in the comic is actually the uh, designation given it in the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Nerds. Yeah, someone someone read the Okuda's work, as they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really neat. It's it's a I really like this huge panel with the with the bottom of the saucer section and the uh the warp nacelles standing vertically and being plugged into a whole bunch of a uh, bunch of conduits and stuff. Yeah, it's a cool image. And uh there's like a podium at the bottom that's got the the old Starfleet logo from Archer's Day. Mhm. And there's a machine at the bottom of it that people are being Absorbed. They're being absorbed into the body, which is, I appreciate. Yeah, and it's the captain's chair. Is it? Yeah, look at it. It's like a J.J. verse captain's chair. Oh, my. That's clever. Clever, clever, clever. Yeah. So, as uh, as the J.J. Verses uh, like to do, likes to do, uh, they shoot everybody. Mm-hmm. And save uh, O'Neill, who's the one on there, on the uh, captain's chair. Yeah. And then they immediately shoot behind the captain's chair to find out what's there and they find a big uh, computer as as you do. And and the, and there is that line where Kirk says, "All right, then time to open the mystery box." <laughs> but he barely he's been there for like 5 minutes. Uh, There's cool. no been no mystery yet. <laughs> Landru is a computer. However, uh it turns out that he's a Federation computer. In, in this universe, and that's where everything fall, starts falling apart for me. Okay. Because in the original series, Landry was a 6,000-year-old alien computer and not a 100-year-old Federation computer. So what happened to the original Landry? If we're talking that the, that the, the alternate universe started when Nero came through his portal, then... These are changes that happened before that. It can't. This the JJ verse cannot have started when Nero came through the portal, unless he sent a shockwave back through time to change things. Because Beta Three should already have people on it. it. Should have already been colonized by all these people. It should have had a six thousand year old computer, and the Archon should not have affected it in any way. But it's an in in this one, it's an unpopulated planet with, and it's a Federation colony with a Federation computer playing the role of Landru, named after a scientist. It it just... I'm fine with the changes if we establish that this is like... If the JJ-verse is a mirror universe, a double mirror universe, as we've, we've discussed, uh, it might be referred to. But I guess here's my question. Like, I agree with you, right? Um... And 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 I think that you know we're looking at it on the surface. What you're saying makes sense, and that this doesn't make sense. But now I could be missing something from the original episode here. But is there any reason to actually believe that it is a six thousand year old computer? Is there any reason why it couldn't be a hundred year old Federation computer? They, they, once everything's revealed, they they flat out explain that it's a six thousand year old computer. Uh, uh, one of their their leaders six thousand years ago decided that people needed to be controlled in order to bring peace to the society. So he built a computer 
and put his consciousness into it and led the people from this computer for 6,000 years. The timeline's all there. I mean, okay, but, like, there's a lot of Earth history which supposedly occurred 6,000 years ago, which we now know because of, you know, logic and whatnot to be inaccurate, right? Is it not possible that this is a story that was told even a hundred years back? I mean, I don't know. I'm playing devil's advocate here, right? Okay. I'm just trying to figure out a way to make it work, but is there any possible way that... Now, I mean, how does the Archon play in exactly in the episode? Because I'm, you know, I I guess that's, that's the key, right? Is it possible that it could have been the Archon here? Or the computer from the Archon, a Starfleet computer. In in the Archon in the original episode, uh, they're hit by the same kind of beam that the Enterprise is. And uh, the heat beam in the original series is the heat beam that's going to destroy them, not a tractor beam that's going to drag them down. Right. But the Archon tried to visit 100 years ago, and Landru destroyed it and kept the people who were already on the planet. Okay. So, Similar to this story. So they were already there. But there were people already there. Mm-hmm. And here, the, it, it, well, that wasn't the case. Well, okay. I mean, but as you, you've hypothesized, perhaps the original Landru is lying. Yeah, could be. It could be that, okay, we never hear about Section 31 until Deep Space Nine, right? Mm-hmm. Hundreds of years in the future. I wonder if the Prime Universe Section 31 is much more careful. Well, I mean, it could be, and also it could be that they didn't have that, you know... I mean, yeah, that makes sense. That's their cover story. It's the cover story to the people who they're brainwashing. It's pretty easy to brainwash them, right? And these people are hearing things, and they could say, yeah, 6,000 years ago, this is what happened. When in reality, it was this other thing. Because how do we even know that what we're hearing in this comic book is true? Because at the end, spoilers, it's revealed that... You know, well, I mean, after the movie, it's revealed that this was a testing ground for Section 31, where they were running some sort of experiment on these people. Yeah. So even what the Enterprise crew learns in the comic is not necessarily the whole truth. You know, I mean, are we to believe that Section 31 saw what was happening here, saw what happened with with Landrew, and was just like... uh no, you know, um, I, I mean, did the original Landrew come here like the comic book says and and do his thing? And then Section 31 just came in and was like, oh, uh, this is cool. We can use this. Or did Section 31 actually design this and put the Landrew cover story in place? Hmm. I don't know. It depends on... If we have an unreliable narrator, it could be anything. Right. And we get this lady later who, you know, flat out has a flashback story. Yeah. And and who knows what's going on with her? Who knows? I mean, she could have still been there in the original timeline and been, you know, wiped out. Right. You know, six years later, eight years later. Um, or maybe they're on a different city. Mm-hmm. Maybe they beam down to a different city. Yeah, it this could be. This one's all medieval, and the other one's all... 
Right, maybe they're in the valley. Oh, yeah. maybe they're in the valley. Man, if Star, if Paul Thomas Anderson were to make a Star Trek movie, he would have to do like a riff on Return of the Archons, but have it take place in the valley, just like all of his other movies, right? I, I don't know. Because they all take place in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, okay. In Los Angeles. <laughs> anyway, okay. Wishful so, thinking, wishful thinking. So back to the story. Uh, they come out of Landrew's chamber, not having done anything to Landrew, not even tried to talk it to death, and they're surrounded by uh, the body. Yeah. And I like how the second comic starts with the uh with Kirk's report to Pike. And it and the uh and the like thought boxes are the back and forth between Pike and Kirk and Pike complaining that you fired on unarmed civilians. Yeah, it's actually I mean the the way that this story kind of progresses is very similar to the opening of Into Darkness. Uh mm-hmm. where and it looks seems like that's what they're setting up, where Kirk is like, hey, this looks like it would be a cool place to go to. And he goes down there, and he interfere, interferes with the natives, and then ends up, you know, kind of messing things up and needs right. to but go. But in this case, the natives are Section 31. <laughs> right. And then he needs to go report to Pike, and, you know, Pike gives him a, a little bit of a slap on the wrist here but then gets that warning from Section 31 where if he continues to meddle, you know, you better watch out. Well, sick con on him. Yeah. So they they shoot their way out of all the people and then continue shooting and then shoot more people. It's a lot of pages of shooting people. Yeah, which is cool. It's fun. It's a good action story. And then they almost shoot McCoy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but join him at the top of of a tower. Where they meet up with Ariel. Yes. And Ariel is a local who is not part of the body. She's not a mermaid either. She's, well, oh yeah, you can't see her legs. Yeah, yeah. And that'd be weird for her to be on the top of a tower. Maybe she used to be a mermaid. Oh yeah, but no, she's talking though, so that doesn't work. Because she sacrificed her voice in order to get her legs. Yeah, but in the end, she gets her legs and her voice. I guess so. In the end of the movie, in the original one, she uh, loses the bet and dies. But that's not important right now. <laughs> We're not, not comparing real. Disney movies with their original, uh, no, <laughs> with their original incarnations. We're comparing comic books <laughs> with their original incarnations. Yes. <laughs> okay. So she says she's a descendant of the original crew of the USS Archon, uh, stranded there on Beta Three for over a century. Everyone in this town is descended from the crew of the Archon. Yes. So then we get a cool flashback with the a uh, JJ verse looking uh NX class ship. Yeah, it's like kind of a combination of JJ verse and the Enterprise Enterprise, which is cool. Which is which is interesting and doesn't really fit in with But of course she could be describing things that look different or maybe this section 31 ship had the advanced JJ drives or something. Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, what... Yeah, I mean, it could be... Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Well, and like Axanar shows, they they tried to combine the TOS, like like they're moving from 
what the ships look like in like the Kelvin, what the Kelvin looks like at the beginning of 2009. Some of the ship designs are kind of like a halfway point between it and the constitution class of the original series. So maybe there were ships in the prime universe that had this style warp drive. Yeah. They just decided to uh, go a different direction. Mm -hmm. All right. But uh, on the Archon was a guy named Cornelius Landrew who uh, built a computer to wipe everybody's mind. And when the Archon tried to stop him, he used a tractor beam and dragged him down to the planet. And then uh, he died and everyone kind of just made up their own story about what had happened. So they built a religion around the computer that was left and started calling it Landrew. And then uh, Scotty reports that the ship is being dragged down, so they go back up to the ship and have actually some very good conversations here. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of talk about, about the Prime Directive and how in the original episode, Spock and Kirk have a discussion about whether or not destroying Landrew is violating the Prime Directive. And in the original episode, uh, Spock's like, we can't do this. You know, we're supposed to, you know, not interfere with any kind of civilization. And Kirk says, this isn't really civilization. It's stagnant. It's not growing. It doesn't count. Yeah. But here, it's more along the lines of, this is our civilization. These are humans. They crashed here. This is a human colony, which to me makes more sense than Kirk's original justification in the original series. Yes. Spock's argument in the comic is that they're not meant to be there. Like it wasn't, they weren't ordered to come and rescue these people. Mm -hmm. Our primary mission has always been to explore, not to engage. I would advise returning to Starfleet and reporting what we've found without taking any measures that would change the colony as we found it. So Spock is literally arguing for non-interference. Like, let's just look at them. Look, those people might be experimented on, and then yeah. we should just fly away. Which they can't fly away because they're caught in a tractor beam, so they're kind of going to have to do something about that. But we know that Spock is willing to sacrifice himself for a civilization, as we see in Into Darkness. Yes. But I think that, that Kirk is in the right here. You know, I mean, it's a little shaky in the original episode where you're like, eh, okay, kind of got us on a technicality there, Kirk. You know, oh, <laughs> they're not growing. But it's like, what does that mean? They're not growing. And it does, it does seem like something Kirk was making up on the spot. Yeah. Spock's like, no, no, don't do that. You know, it's bad. Yeah. And Kirk's like, uh, uh, they're stagnant. Yep. There, yep. there we go. We got it. There's we got it loophole. now. Yeah. <laughs> but but here it's it's more like uh you know I mean it makes sense. It's like this isn't like an alien pop population or anything like that. It is a human population. It's only been around for a hundred years, you know. Right. I'm sure there are other colonies out there which were dropped off more than a hundred years ago, which no one bothered to come back and check on, you know. They've probably changed and grown a lot more, but would you say like, oh well they're not you know, and this is not only that, but it's an oppressed people, you know, uh, and a human, you know, op oppression. Yeah. You know, this definitely seems to fall under the jurisdiction of the Federation. So I think that Kirk was sound in his reasoning here. And uh, Kirk in the original doesn't seem to 
uh, be worried about what'll happen to the population if when he just destroys Landru, which is a debate they kind of get into here in the comics, which is yeah is appreciative. Like you know, we might kill all of these guys by unplugging Landru. Yeah, but with the ship going down and 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 all that, they decide to beam Landru up, which is is clever. It it's not talking a computer to death, but it's not blowing it up either. So I'll give the JJ verse that it's kind of clever to just beam it up, unplug it just by <laughs> yeah. By getting rid of it. And everybody seems to be fine, or at least blank. And so uh, they go to the cargo bay and examine Landrew. And uh, they talk about the the follow-up ship that's going to come out and, you know, get these people back to normal. The cleanup ship. Right. Which is, which is also nice of them to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Kirk giving his report to Pike. And then Pike getting a mysterious call from somebody saying, you know, the Lander experiment lasted for decades, took a concerted effort over many years to scrub any trace of the Archon from the archives. James Kirk was your project. Keep him in line. No more surprises, because next time I'm holding you personally responsible. Yeah. And uh, we can assume post Into Darkness that that was Marcus calling and yelling at Pike. Yes. Makes sense. And when I read it, I could I could read it in Peter Weller's voice. So that was That's pretty awesome. That was nice. Yeah. Wish I could do a Peter Weller impression, but I can't. No, me either. <laughs> but that's the comic. Yeah. Um, but while there are some inconsistencies, obviously, with the show, and that's obviously a, a problem that you know a lot of people have with it, and that I had with it the first time through, you know reading it again and having this discussion, I'm a lot um, more okay with it. I think that, you know, if you divorce it from that, if you're willing to take it out of the whole, you know, continuity nerd thing and just look at it as a story, especially as a story in relation to these other movies, um, it actually works really well and it does a good job of sort of tying into the themes and everything of the the movies. And uh, yeah, I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'll have to agree with you there. I I was really upset at it at first, the design of the Archon and, you know, the whole the whole changing of Landrew. But yeah, looking at it in context of the, especially in a post-into-darkness look, uh, I, I do feel better about it. I, I enjoy it. And... Uh, I wish there was more Will of Landrew being done, mm-hmm. but but that's just a personal preference. Yeah. Well, it was fun talking about Landrew again, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so it my birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! 
That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like, they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would, I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because the Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action, adventure, road race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out those shows and get it on the Daily Trek Talk. you find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Libsyn, and you can just stream it from the website. You can go to trek.fm slash podcast to get all those links. Uh, if you want to contact us and share your thoughts on uh, Beta 3 and the Landrew Project, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab in the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners at our Facebook group, The Babel Conference. In social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Uh, you can find me here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars with uh, my co-hosts John and Max, and you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing commentary Trek Stars off topic with my co-hosts Max and Brandon, and you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k. You can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and on various other places around the network. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, I know we can't top Captain's Glory, and I kind of wish that we could just plug it again. Yeah. But do you have something something different for us this week? I do. I have Star Trek Prime Directive, which was written by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, and it's narrated by James Doohan. And it says, James Kirk's failure to obey the Prime Directive has reduced a planet to a post-nuclear horrorscape, or is a far more sinister force at work. Featuring a dramatic reading by James Doohan and enhanced with sound effects and original score, you can get this book for free on Audible since you listen to Trek FM. I wonder if Section 31's behind it. Maybe, maybe. Well, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek.fm. And lastly, there's another way to keep us in orbit, and that's by supporting us on Patreon. 
you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer in our shows. If you go to Patreon, you can find out where the donations go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for all of our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trek.fm, so check it out. Another comic. Do, do we know what's up next? Yeah, it's a the Tribble comic. Oh. Yeah. Again, something completely different from the original, but... Mm, yeah. Could be cool. But, uh, should be fun. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.